Number five. How are you guys? All right. You all right? Got it? All right. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to have you guys flip around a little bit today because you got to see this stuff. If it's your Bible, I want you to underline some things, uh, circle them. But we're talking about a very important topic, uh, potentially one of the most important topics in all of our lives, and that is the topic of God himself. All right? God. Now we've got to break down a couple of things that are going to definitely make you scratch your head. Um, have you guys are familiar with the, at least the idea of the Trinity? You're like, okay. All right. Good job. Uh, today we're starting, and over the next couple of weeks, this month uh, in particular, so the next four weeks, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit is not some weird voodoo magical thing. It is not pixie dust that you sprinkle on Christians so that they're extra able to do cool stuff. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God. Like, but I thought Jesus was God. Jesus is God too. But I thought there's only one God. Well, there's only one God, and it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, those are three different persons. Yes, it is. But I thought there's one God. There is one God. Okay, you get it so far? Okay, some of you guys are like, uh, you got me confused. Sweet. Now that we're all on the same page and we're all a little bit um, stumped, the Bible clearly teaches there is one God, but in three different persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so before we get into talking about the Holy Spirit uh, and God via the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, uh, we need to to make a clear distinction between what's going on, what the Bible's talking about. And this month, you guys have ever heard about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Prophecy, healing, miracles, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, gift of evangelism, gift of teaching and pastoring, gift of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, um, exhortation. I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving a few out off the top of my head. But the fact is that God has equipped every single believer with at least one uh, quite possibly more than one gift that he has given you to be used by God for the building up of the body of Christ or the church. It is an incredible, supernatural, divine empowering. It is the moving of the Holy Spirit through that believer that gives him the ability to even use these things. Um, and so the reality is if you're like, yes, I know, I know. If I'm convinced of one thing, I don't even know if the sun's coming tomorrow, but I know I belong to Jesus. Sweet then I guarantee that the Holy Spirit is in you, he wants to work through you, and that there is at least one gift that God wants to bring to life and use uh, in your life to impact others, right? So that's what the next couple of weeks are going to be about. Um, if you want to invite your friends, right on, do it. Um, friends on Sundays, bring them, but we're talking about the Holy Spirit tonight and what it means to walk in the Spirit, okay? You guys good? You there? Galatians 5? Everyone seems all like empty today cold no 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 i turned off the air conditioners like 45 minutes ago just for you there's no way um cold oh my gosh cold you're cold you guys good you guys all right anyone just like i have a heavy heart today you guys ever have heavy hearted days you know what i mean where you're just like what the heck just go away i don't like this uh, man, those days are rough. Let's pray, all right? Father, we uh, lift up those that are just having one of those heavy-hearted days. God, that you would be our encourager right now, Lord, that you'd fill us. Lord, and ask that by your Spirit, Lord, you would teach us. God, you say that your word was given uh, in part for instruction and in righteousness, and so 
Lord, that you would instruct us, God, to live, Lord, humbly to live, at the same time with boldness and courage, but God, that we would grow together right now as the body of Christ. Lord, strip away the things of the world, Lord, our burdens, our fears, our concerns. God, pray that you would wreck the plans of the enemy, bring them to nothing. Lord, that we would hear clearly tonight what the Holy Spirit is speaking. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. All right, you guys there, Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 16, all right? Twice in this chapter, we are instructed to walk in the Spirit. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at what in the world that means, to walk in the Spirit. Verse 16 specifically says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, there's our phrase, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How many of you guys are aware that you sin sometimes? Right? Now, how many of you guys hate that you sin sometimes? Do you guys ever like lie and you're like, dang it, why did I do that? Or you're mean to somebody and you're like, that's not me. I didn't mean to do that. I hate that. Uh, or you are too busy being jealous about something, but you hate that you're jealous about stuff. That is God doing a work in you. But the Bible tells us right there, Galatians 5.16, that if we would walk in the Spirit, we would not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. It doesn't mean that the lusts of the flesh will go away, and all of a sudden you won't be tempted to lie or cheat or steal or lust or covet or whatever but that you'll have the ability and the power to overcome the temptation of the flesh, that our natural desires, and do you guys understand the difference between the spirit and the flesh? Yeah, or are you just like, I don't know, sounds like a meat market, like steak, flesh, I don't understand. How do you guys are like, help me out a little bit, I don't get it. Okay, fair enough, well, look, whenever we talk about the flesh, it's one of those Christian words, right, flesh, are you gonna, what, is this vampire stuff? What are you talking about? The flesh. It's talking about your sin nature, your self-flesh desires, okay, selfishness or selfishness. So whenever we talk about the desires of the flesh or of the world uh, in the context of Scripture or talking or the Bible, you're talking about your sin nature. When you want to do what is wrong or what is anti-God or what is sin, that is the desires of the flesh. And you're warring it because on the inside, you don't want to do that. You want to be uh, honest, and you don't want to steal, and you don't want to be jealous, and you don't want to gossip, but you did it. Dang it. That is the war between the flesh and the spirit, the part of you uh, that is yearning to be with the Lord, and your flesh, the part of you that wants to be in the world and sin. Okay? Bible says we do not have to sin. We don't have to do it. In fact, God set us free from sin. He conquered sin and death. And yet sometimes when we are not walking in the Spirit, then we end up giving in to the temptations or the desires of the flesh. So if we do whatever this phrase means, if we can learn to walk in the Spirit, we will overcome the sin and the temptation in our lives. That's awesome. It's amazing. Go just a couple verses down. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. All right? It's almost like he's saying, come on, guys, this is an oxymoron. We should get this by now. If we are alive because of the Holy Spirit's work in our life of redemption, uh, uh, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, that he is indwelt in us, if we're alive because of the Holy Spirit, then walk in it. It makes sense to do so. It's like if you have a bike, ride it. Don't just sit there and be like, I have a nice bike. Or if you get a brand new skateboard for your birthday and you're like, look at this, the wheel's like, <laughs> go ride it. Get on that thing and go, man. Don't just stand there and look at it. 
In the same way, he's saying, look it, if you have the Holy Spirit, get up and start going. Walk in the Spirit, and you will overcome the desires of the flesh. And all kinds of other cool things happen in the life of the believer because God, the Holy Spirit, is alive and moving in and through us. But what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It's an easy phrase, but how do we do that? Well, that's the next couple of evenings that we're together will be all about. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we've got to immediately address the idea, the topic, the teaching of the Trinity, right? People, some people get very freaked out when you bring up the Holy Spirit. They've uh, either been taught strange things or they've been free to imagine things that are just not true. Uh, do you guys know much about the Holy Spirit? How many of you guys are like, uh, I'm familiar with the word, but honestly, I couldn't give you a very big description. How many of you guys would fall into that category? Okay, that's most of us. How many of you guys are like, man, I have no clue what you're talking about. This is nuts. Okay, just a few of us. How many of you guys feel like you do a fairly decent job giving a description of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Right on. All right. Um, so we've got a, a blended mix of us. And regardless, at the end of this thing, hopefully we'll all have a little bit of a better understanding. And so the exhortation will be to you guys, the encouragement at the end of tonight, look, if you're alive in the Spirit, walk in it. Be a believer in pursuit of Jesus, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Now, when you break down the idea of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, people immediately get confused. But many, 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 many things in our lives uh, are brought up in this idea of three. Okay, you guys know about tricycles, right? Uh, most of you guys read, rode little red tricycles when you were babies before you could ride your two-wheeler. Uh, what does tri mean? Three, okay, very simple. It means three. And so whenever we bring up try anything, we're talking about three. In the Trinity, it's the triune God. One God in three persons. Deal? Now I'll tell you right now. I'll give you some examples and we'll talk about this stuff tonight. But we have uh, mortal minds. We're going to die. We have these tiny little puny human brains. And we're trying to understand a gigantic, immortal, infinite God. And so there's some things that though we can kind of understand, it takes a bit of faith to completely grab on to this concept, this truth of the Trinity, all right? We can look at it. We can describe it. It may not make perfect sense to us, but we can see it clearly in the scriptures, and so we know that when we see God, it will all unfold and will be made plain to us. But um, the concept of family, it's a triune idea. Mom, dad, and kids, right? Make up what? One family. Does that make sense? There's me, there's my wife, and there's our kids. It is a tri-functioning, different roles or responsibilities. I don't do what my wife does. My wife doesn't do what I do. Neither of us do what our kids do, and they don't do what either of us do. But we make up, how many families do we make up? One family, all right? Um, space itself. How many of you guys like 3D movies? I don't, I don't care for them that much. I mean, they're cool. If like the shorter ones, you're like, whoa, it's like, ah, but there's nothing actually there. Um, but whatever, 3D movies are crazy, it's cool. Thank God we see in 3D. You know you see three-dimensionally all the time? What? <laughs> Everything is 3D right now. Imagine if you only saw two-dimensionally. What that means is if you could see height and width, but you couldn't see depth, I would throw a ball at you, and you couldn't tell it was coming at you because you only see two dimensions, you don't see the depth, and you'd be like, oh, poof, oh what happened? But the way God created us, thank the Lord, 
we can see three-dimensionally. We see not just width, not just height, but we also see depth. And sight is three-dimensional. Those three things put together is what gives us the one thing called sight, time. Time is a three-part thing, the past, the present, and what is it? The future. But it is time. Uh, you think about the color. How many of you guys are painters or you like art, right? What are the three primary colors? Red, blue, and yellow? It's not red, orange, and yellow. Red and yellow make orange. Blue, right? Isn't it blue? Okay, so red, yellow, and blue. If you take those, those are the three primary colors. You take any of those combinations, you can make every single color known to man. But they all break down. Nothing can make blue. Only blue makes blue. Only red makes red. And only yellow makes yellow. But when you have those together, you can make all kinds of crazy stuff. So whether it's sight, three-dimensionally, whether it's the family, which is a triune idea, father, mother, and children, whether it's uh, time, past, present, and future, matter, right? We have solid, we have liquid, and we have gas. Your dinner is one of those three things right now. Hopefully, it's either solid or liquid and not so much gas, but uh, the reality is everything, water itself, solid, liquid, or gas, matter. Everything we know is either a solid, a liquid, or a gas. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, what does the Bible talk about the Trinity? And you will hear this argument from a lot of people, and it'll come up in your lifetime, like, the Bible doesn't even teach the Trinity. Yes, it does. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, for there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, that is a direct reference to Jesus Christ, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, the title Word, the reason it doesn't say just Jesus, it is a reference to the eternal reality of Jesus, that he was way before and that he will always be, that he is a spoken authority of God, and he has been since the beginning and he will be beyond the end. So we have right here, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, here it is, these three are how many? One. No, like, ha ha, I got you. These three are how many? Three. Nope. It's one. But, okay, there's one God in how many persons? Three. And so these three persons how make, up, make up how many gods? One. You got it. You're doing good. Uh, what's one times one times one? One, all right? So one Jesus, one Father, and one Holy Spirit equal one God. Now here's the part where it gets kind of hard for us to understand, okay? We've got to pause for a second. So that these three are one, and so we have the idea like the tricycle or like the color wheel or like uh, sight, that three-dimensional concept, that if we were to remove Jesus from the picture, it's like a tricycle that lost the wheel. It's like, and we broke the Trinity, or, or God can't be God anymore. It's not exactly like that. Jesus Christ is 100% God. He's not the part that's like all loving and gracious and merciful, and then God the Father is like righteous and holy and just, and then the Holy Spirit is all-powerful and omnipresent. And that they, when you get them together, there's like radical team called God, all right? Jesus is all of those things. He alone is God all-powerful, omnipresent, uh, he knows all things, he's in all places, he is loving and gracious and merciful, he is, he is perfect in everything, holy, God the Father, all of those attributes, that's what makes him God. He is 100% on his own God, and the Holy Spirit, same exact thing, all-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, 
a holy, righteous, 100% God. So don't think, oh man, if Jesus fell off the bike, all of a sudden God's in trouble. No, Jesus is God, God the Father is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. And when you put them together, what do you get? God. And that's where we kind of go, I'm hanging on by a thread. Just hang on by a thread. Does that make sense though to you guys? You, you can at least understand the teaching of the Trinity. We're doing good. Most adults have a hard time grabbing onto this. Do you have any questions? By the way, over the next couple of weeks, if you have questions, ask questions. We're getting into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're talking about the empowering of the Holy Spirit uh, when it comes upon our lives for service. Any questions yet? All right. You think it's cold in here? I am burning hot just for you. The Trinity. Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 26, if you read all the way back to the very opening chapter of the Bible, it says, then, look at, then, who's, who's talking right here? Then, who is it? Who is it? Oh, come on, who is it? Then God said, let who? Wait a minute, who's he talking to? The Trinity, right? It, Jesus is there, the Holy Spirit is there, the Father is there, it is God, and so God says, hey, why don't we make mankind in our image and according to our likeness? From the very beginning, all three existed. Well, I thought Jesus was only here for 33 years old, or till he was like 33 years old. He was on earth in human form for 33 years, but he has always been, all right? Jesus is as infinite and as holy and perfect as every other portion of the Trinity. The very word God there is the word Elohim. It's the plural usage of the word God. So it is one God but it's a plural form, meaning the three different persons. We have God the Father, all right? We'll talk about God the Father for just a second here. Does the Bible teach these three different things? Absolutely. Like we saw in 1 John, God the Father, the Word, or the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, these three are one. But God the Father, let's break it down. What do they do? Why are they different? They are different. Matthew 6, 32 says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, and it's direct reference to food and clothing, basically your necessities, all right, for life. They believe it's food, water, and clothing. They're like freaking out. I don't know if I'm going to have anything to eat tomorrow. It says, after all these things, those necessities, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, there's a direct reference to the Father, knows that you have needed these things. We're going to run. Is it okay if we run kind of quick through this part? And we can slow down when we get to the Holy Spirit part? You guys go with that? Yeah? Okay. Uh, Luke 11, 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our who? Our what? Our Father in heaven Holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John 5.30, I do not seek my own will. This is interesting. This is Jesus saying, I'm not here to do what I want. But isn't he God? Yes. But there's the Trinity. Remember, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the who? The Father who sent me. So clearly there is the Father who is God. We also have Jesus or the Son. Uh, we'll run kind of quick through this one too, but John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All things were made through him and without him, in direct reference to Jesus, nothing was made that was made. Saying Jesus was there in the day of creation, and he had part in making all things. He was there then. If you read in the book of Revelations, he says that he was and is and is to come. He's eternal. Uh, John eight fifty eight says, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, this is hundreds of years before Jesus walked on earth, I am, which is also another title for God. He's saying, like, I am God and I have always been around. Titus 
looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great, what's the title here? What's it say? Of our great God and Jesus Christ. Well, what is Jesus? Is he Savior or is he God? Yes, he is both. He is God, part God, no, one-third God, no, 100% God, and he is the Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit, all right? Um, this is where we're going to get into it. Does the Bible talk about the Holy Spirit? And a lot of people get the, the heebie-jeebies. Uh, they get all freaked out thinking they're going to get possessed or something crazy. God does not ever take control of someone the way you think. Uh, he's not going to grab you and force you to do what he wants. You don't turn into his marionette puppet and you're like, do, 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 do. what they're called, marionettes, right? Like Pinocchio was. Uh, it doesn't work that way. He invites us. Uh, he wants to come alongside of us. That when we get saved, he dwells within us. That is God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can put up the next chunk of verses. But look, from the book of Exodus all the way through the New Testament, but uh, it says, and I have filled him with what? The Spirit of God. Good job. Numbers 24. And the, who is it? Spirit of God came upon him. Uh, Second Chronicles 15 says, Now the came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. Uh, it goes on later on in the same book. Then the what? Came upon Zechariah. So clearly, so far, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. First John chapter 5 says that these three are, in fact, one God in three persons. First Corinthians 6, 11 says, and such were some of you saying, you dirty, rotten, little sticky sinners. You used to be a sinner. All right, don't forget. But you were washed and you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. It is God. Second Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord, what is it? Now the Lord is the, right on. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom from bondage. Uh, last one in this kind of area we're talking about, John 14, 26. But the Helper, Jesus is now promising, but the Helper, who's the Helper? I know, the Holy Spirit, whom, who, who's sending him? The Father is sending him in whose name? In the name of Jesus. So you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Father, they're all coming, all right? Um, now, what is the difference between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If we have three distinct personalities, why would they all be the same if they're distinct? You can't, right? Don't I fulfill a certain role in my family that is unique from my children or my wife's, and so too for them? Well, then what is unique about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? They are all all-powerful. They are all omnipresent. They are all all-knowing. They are all those attributes that make them God, but what's so unique about them? Think about this, okay? People have a very hard time, but if you had to describe God the Father, how would you describe his role? All right. What about God the Son? What is Jesus' role? What has he done? What does he do? What, what, what's his thing? He died for us, so definitely he's our Savior slash Redeemer, whichever word you prefer. I like Redeemer, um, but Savior, okay? What about the Holy Spirit? What is his role in our life? What? The helper? How, how do you know that? Right there. Good job. What else? Is that it? He's just like our little butler. He comes in to do whatever we say. What's that? He warns us big time. Good job. What else? 
right on. He is definitely going to guide us. Now, he's not a tour guide that we hired, and he's at our servant. And so we're like, Lord, I need a little more power, a little more light over there, please. And I need you to clear the way so I can get through where I need to be. It's not like that. It is God leading us where he wants us to go. Now, as we talk about the Holy Spirit over the next couple of weeks, don't ever forget it is us following the Holy Spirit, not the Holy Spirit following us. It does not work. He's not there to do what we want. He gives us a strength to do what he's leading us to do. Big, big, big difference. If you want to break it down, you can put up the next slide. It breaks it down. This is not a perfect way, but to kind of try and figure out the different roles of the Trinity. The Father, uh, he would be kind of the planner, the provider, the protector, all right? It is God the Father who came up with the plan of salvation. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That was his kind of plan, his idea. He said, guys, I got it figured out. Jesus, you're going to go and die on the cross, and you're going to be the perfect sacrifice, and you're going to pay for the sins of the world. And then when you come back, the Holy Spirit's going to go down, and he's going to fill them up, and he's going to empower them to walk strong until they come to be with us, all right? He planned it out. He provided it. He's the uh, protector, the son, as we said, the redeemer. Jesus came down, and uh, he, he did it all. He paid it all on the cross for us. And then the Holy Spirit, there's a whole bunch, but it breaks into these kind of categories, Conviction, sanctification, and then empowerication, if you like the T-I-O-N thing. But conviction, sanctification, and then the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. All right? You guys good? All right. So let's talk, whoa, let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a second. Um, yep. Oh, by the way, kind of a cool idea I heard someone talk about. Um, if God was only one person before anything else was created, who is he hanging out with before? himself so for an infinite amount of time no beginning no end he would have been like rock scissor paper yeah rock paper scissor i'm lonely after you know a few billion years he'd be like i think i need somebody and all of a sudden now we are created in that idea to fulfill one of god's needs he needs us to be around so that he's not alone anymore it's not true. We are not needed by God. More extravagantly, we are wanted by God. He wasn't lonely and like, well, I'm going to make them and I need them to love me so that I can have a relationship and I'm not alone and I'm not sad all the time. It doesn't work that way. God was very much so not alone. He was very much so not unloved that they were there, but they made us in his likeness and he wants us to be around. So the first thing, the role of the Holy Spirit in the whole world. This is true for believers and non-believers. The role of conviction, all right? When we talk about it, the role of conviction. Grab your Bibles, flip to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John. I'll get there with you guys. But the role of conviction. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let me know when you're there. You there? Quit. If you're there, say word. word. You guys are fast. That's amazing. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then boom, John. John chapter 16. We're talking about conviction. What is the Holy Spirit's role? The role in the world? Take a look. Read it. Whoop, I'm at six. Give me a second. John, not six, 16. Who wants to read it super loud? Yeah? All right. No? 
your hand just randomly threw itself up there like that. <laughs> all right, stand up super tall. Curtis, you can be next on something, all right? Just those two verses, all right, seven and eight. Good job, man. Right, give him a hand. That was loud and everything. And when he, right, good job. Who's the helper? Who's the helper? I'm going to talk to you. You're going to talk to me, all right? Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit has come, look at verse 8. He will convict the world of what? And of? And of? All right, it goes on to describe it. Jesus breaks those things down, but that he has come to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And it goes on and says, the sin because you have not believed in me. The Holy Spirit's role is to bring conviction to the world that they need Jesus. Jesus does not do that. Imagine that. Me, it's all about me. Everyone needs me. I'm it. I'm everything. I'm great. I'm awesome. Me, 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 me. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus did everything. It is all about him. But the Holy Spirit's the one saying, hey, you need Jesus. Let me introduce somebody. His name is Jesus. Hey, what's your name? Tom? Tom, guess what you need? You need Jesus, all right? That's the Holy Spirit's job that before we're saved, his whole time is just for me. Dave, you need Jesus. Uh, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Oh, and one more thing you need? A little more Jesus, okay? You've got a problem. It is called sin, and he convicts us of it. The very word conviction, the definition, it means to find or to expose fault. Did any of you guys get saved in just in the last, let's say, day to year? You're like a fairly, you're like, oh, I got saved within the last year or so. Yeah? Hey, sit up. All right. Who, anybody else? Okay, a couple of us. Now, uh, you guys, who got saved in the last two years or so? Okay, right on. How many of you guys are like, dang, I've been walking with God since I was born? That's not true. There had to have been, I'm not asking you to remember the day or how long it's been, but there was a day in which you had to decide Jesus. If you think you were just grafted in because of the family tree, my, my dad was uh, an evangelist, my mom works at VBS, and so I grew up in children's ministry, and I'm a Christian. That do not make you no Christian, all right? You can sit in a garage all day long. You will never become a car, obviously. Uh, you are who you are, but you become a Christian because you decide to be, all right? But in the last year or two, or before we chose to be with Jesus, there's one thing that you know, because every time you sin, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, that was bad. That's not good. You shouldn't be doing that. You don't need mom to bust you, right? Have you guys are aware of what I'm talking about? You don't need mom to walk in on you, or dad to come around the corner, or the police officer to roll down the street. You're running, and no one's around. You just know, that was wrong. Hope I don't get caught. You're already busted, man. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what you're running from. Stop running. If you're not a believer, stop running from the Holy Spirit, and his job will not change. He's to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, meaning you need to get right with God, of judgment, because those that are of this world, specifically Satan, the ruler of this world, he's already lost. He is, it's over. It is so over. The Bible's awesome. Uh, my grandfather one time was in a restaurant. This is bad, um, but whatever. He was in a restaurant one time, and there was a football game on, 
and he's watching the football game, and there's a guy across a couple tables over, and they start talking. He's like, oh, man, I hate this team. He's like, that's my favorite team. Don't talk trash about them. And he bets him, I bet you $100 your team loses. And he's like, all right, you're on. And he's like, in fact, I'll bet you $200 they lose by 13 points. And he's like, oh, you're definitely on now. Well, 45 minutes go by. They finish their French fries and whatever it was they were having to eat. The game ends. My grandfather was right. His team lost by exactly 13 points. Do you know how he knew that? It was a replay of the game two days ago that apparently the loser didn't know of, and my grandfather already saw it, right? It's like, <laughs> now he didn't take the money. He just laughed and gave the money back to him and told him and went home. So that part's cool, I guess. In the very same way, guys, Satan's running around doing as much as he can. I think he has deceived himself and believes he's going to win. But the Bible says, nope, the Holy Spirit, God, is coming upon every single human being, convicting them of their sin because they need Jesus, convicting them of righteousness because they are not right with God, and of judgment because judgment is coming, and Satan's lost. He may not know it yet. The world may not know it yet, but we know it. We've read the end of the book. He loses, and he loses big. The role of the Holy Spirit is to make people aware the end is coming. And until you have accepted Jesus, you are guilty of sin and must pay the penalty of death yourself. All right? So the role of the Holy Spirit, number one thing, is conviction of their need for Jesus. You guys good? You got that part? So what is the number one thing the Holy Spirit does in everyone's life? Together say, convict of sin. One more time. Super loud. Boom, you got it. All right, to convict us of our sins. Now, that's the whole world. Other than that, until you accept Jesus, that's kind of his only role in your life. As soon as you become a believer, the process of sanctification sets in. All right, try to say that word out loud. Try sanctification. sanctification. All right, you're going to read that throughout your life as a believer as you get into the word. But sanctification is a big word uh, that has a very simple meaning. It means to be set aside for a specific purpose, okay? A bunch of S words, right? Sanctification is to be set aside for a special purpose. Um, the Bible clearly talks about it as it's already happened and it is continually happening. There is a, we'll take a look. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? The Holy Spirit lives in you. Like, hello, what's the address? D-A-V-I-D-A-X, David Axe. That's where the Holy Spirit lives all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, until the day I die or the rapture happens, this is where he lives. Uh, what's his favorite music? Heartbeat, it's awesome. Like, doom, 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 right? Uh, whatever, but that is where he lives. He's with me all the time. He, we are inseparable. It is impossible to divide us. That's where it's taken place. And the moment that happens, sanctification begins. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, Who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The moment the Holy Spirit comes in, it is a guarantee. He will be there until the end. Uh, it's like being rescued from a prison by a Navy SEAL, whatever, Team 6. They pull you out. You're not like, follow me, guys. They're like, no, stick with us, we'll get you home. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He moves in, he says, I got you all the way to the end, let's go. And so as we started off saying, right, if you're alive in the Spirit, he got you out of this thing, then walk in it. 
follow the Lord and be doing what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. Don't look at what God's calling other people to do. I'll tell you right now, as we inch a little bit closer tonight towards talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, do not ever be swayed or tempted to think that you should be doing what other people are doing. There's a specific call and anointing on every single life, and it is different. You are not called to be anybody else, and no one else is called to be you. You're not better than them. You're not worse than them, but you are different, right? You are different. God's given different gifts. God has given different purposes, different callings, different anointings. Why? To build up the body. We're all supposed to be about the same thing. It teaches clearly. It says there's multiple ministries, multiple gifts, but there is one spirit, one God who does all of that working. Um, to be sanctified. Hebrews 10.10, and then it goes on just a couple verses later. Grab your Bible. Slip to Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. <clears throat> Man, there's no way we're going to finish this. You're, what? That is amazing. Oh, Hebrews 10.10, 10, all right? And then 10.14. In uh, your Bibles, underline these, all right? You guys there? You good? All right. Hebrews 10.10, 10, we get both sides of the coin with sanctification. It says, and by that will, we have been sanctified. So have we already been sanctified, or are we being sanctified? According to that verse right there, has it already taken place? Yes. You have been sanctified. If you go to Disneyland and you're in there and you're on the teacups throwing up on the little kid next to you, you're not going to Disneyland anymore. You're there. You're at Disneyland. And so this clearly tells us right here that by that will, God, you have been sanctified. It's already happened through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You're his. He has sanctified you. said, you're my son. You're my daughter. But four verses later, take a look. For by one offering, that was Jesus, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Well, which one is it? Have you been sanctified or are you in the process of being sanctified? Yes, you have been sanctified if you're a believer. He has set you aside for a special purpose, but you are being sanctified. It's kind of the molding and shaping process where you take off the parts you don't like and start putting in the things you do. You start taking out the trash and putting in all kinds of goodness. It's like finding an old jar, washing out the crumbs and the cockroaches, making it all nice and shiny and filling it up with all kinds of cookies and goodness or whatever you want to call it, all right? Woodworking. I don't know if you guys like woodworking. I love woodworking. I love woodworking. It's like taking a bunch of lumber and you're sitting there and you're looking at it all. You can throw the picture up. Uh, you're looking at it all, and you're like, this one. You pull out a piece of wood, right, and you set it aside. Like, I'm going to make something cool out of this, and the rest of it, you chop it up, and you, uh, you can burn it. You can make coasters out of it, whatever. It's just kind of like normal stuff. But this one has been set aside for a specific purpose. It's already been sanctified. But then you get out your hammers and saws and chisels and sandpaper and all kinds of cool stuff, and you go to town, and you come up with some guy that looks like this guy. You're like, yeah, look what I made. Like, whoa, how'd you do that? Sanctification. I took off the things I didn't want. I put oil in there, and I rubbed it around and made it all nice and shiny, and I sanded it. And sometimes you need a saw. Sometimes it's just a little bit of sandpaper. But I'm going to town. And so that piece of wood was sanctified. It was set aside for a specific purpose, as you have been when you were saved. But then there's being sanctified. You're being worked on. For the believer, the Holy Spirit is already sanctified you until the day of redemption. But he is sanctifying you or working on you all the time. Uh, so here's a couple things he does. Some of the big things. 
Um, there's a few more we can always add in. Uh, the topic of God is a huge one, no matter which one you grab onto, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. But he teaches us. As a believer, he is teaching you. No longer the things of just the world, but he's instructing you in righteousness. He teaches us. John 16, 13 says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. John 14, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to remembrance all things I said to you. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? He teaches us. In that process of taking away the things of the flesh we talked about, or that selfishness, and adding in more and more and more of Jesus, there is that process of teaching us. He also leads us, Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, what's the implication of that, spirit, of that verse? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. They belong to the Lord. Could you then, in turn, say those who are not led by the Spirit are, in fact, not sons of God? The Holy Spirit is leading all the time. The question is, are we following him? If we're alive in the Spirit, Walk in it. Let him teach you. Let him guide you. What kinds of things would the Holy Spirit guide us through in our daily lives? What do you think? Curtis. Decisions. Like, what kind of a decision? Should I go watch a horror movie with my friends? That's definitely. The Holy Spirit will, like, I mean, like a horse at full speed, and then all of a sudden, like, Wait, that's bad. That guy's got a machete. Pull back on the reins like, slow down, stop, turn, do something. Just don't go straight. The Holy Spirit will guide us around all kinds of things, definitely. But he also guides us into things. He will lead you to certain people with needs. He will lead you to certain opportunities. He will guide you away from what is wrong. But don't just think God's only concerned with things that are wrong. His goal is, yes, to get you away from what's bad so that he can get you to what's good. That's what it's all about, that we would follow the Lord to both extremes, to remove our hands from what is wicked and put them on to what is holy. He reminds us, the Holy Spirit. So he teaches us, he leads us, he reminds us. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That whenever you go through some trial, whenever you go through some crazy chaotic thing, he will remind you, you are mine. Let me tell you, I've shared you guys, maybe not with you guys, maybe a couple times in my life, but I remember so, so clearly. We used to live up in a town called Laverne. Anybody know where Laverne is? All right, sweet, sweet little house. It was a tiny little back house, and I remember things were going crazy insane. Uh, we had our first two kids. They were like three and two. My wife was pregnant. She was in and out of the hospital like all the time. Uh, just crazy stuff going on in our lives. Completely overwhelmed and did not know what to do. And you guys ever feel like you're doing everything you can to make everyone happy and in turn, no one's happy with what you're doing? Like, you know that whole saying, you can make some of the people happy all the time? And all the people happy some of the time, but you can't make all the people happy all the time? Well, those little times where you can't make anybody happy no matter what you're doing, those are hard, right? I remember clear as day walking down my driveway. We had these like yellowish colored streetlights. It was real dim. I remember walking along and I was talking to God, Lord, 
I'm about to break. Like, I don't cry, but I think I might have a tear coming up here. This is insane. I'm completely spent. I've done everything I know how to do. I can't keep doing this. Show me what to, I, no one even notices. No one even cares. I'm to the end of it. No one, no one cares. And the Holy Spirit so clearly, I, I'll tell you, I've never heard so clearly in all my life, the Lord said, I care and I see. It was amazing that when God reminds you, I see and I know. I see it and I know it. Like the children of Israel when they were being beaten and whipped and tormented as slaves into Egypt and God calls Moses and says, I have heard the cries of my children and I have seen what their taskmasters do to them. I'm telling you right now, there is nothing more valuable than God himself when he says, no, 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 I'm with you and I see the amount of encouragement that comes in that sweet little whisper in a moment is amazing. And so the Bible teaches us clearly the Holy Spirit, he's there to teach you, to guide you, and when necessary, to remind and to comfort you. You are his. Last two things I think we'll talk about quickly. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We get so bogged down at looking what we shouldn't do, we stop looking at the Lord. Just walk in the Spirit. I'll lead you away from, I'll give you the power to overcome it. And the last one, Galatians 5.22. You guys ever wish you were more loving or more patient or more gentle or more kind? You're like, man, i got a problem. I, I, let me save you about five years worth of torment, all right? Ladies, are you good? Yeah? Okay. Let me save you about five years with a struggle, okay? We want to be more patient. We want to be more kind. We want to be more gracious. We want to be more loving. So we come with all these strange rules, right? Um, like if my mom talks, I'm not going to talk until I've counted all my toes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And hopefully my temper would have gone away by the time I get to ten. Uh, or I'm going to get straight A's, so all I have to do is do my homework uh, and not talk in class. And I'm even going to duct tape my mouth shut. And I'm going to be more patient with my sister, so I'm just going to stay away from her. That'll be nice. I just won't be around her anymore. And we come with all of these rules that are supposed to make us more loving or more gentle or more kind or more long-suffering or more patient or whatever it is. They won't work. I'm telling you right now, you are building a prison for yourself. When you begin to step, okay, this is going to fix this part of my life, and this is going to fix this part of my life, and all of these crazy rules, they will not work. One day you'll wake up and realize that you have put yourself in your own kind of crazy prison. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What is it? It is love. And that produces joy, peace. Oh my goodness, that's enough. If we just had joy and peace, we'd all be fine. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We won't do the things we hate doing anymore. And against such, there is no law. You don't have to set up all those laws and barriers. and It'll all go away if we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives. Which means, if we're not loving enough, we're not loving the Lord enough. That's it. If we're not loving our sister enough, it's because we don't love the Lord enough. If it's we're not loving our dad enough, it's because we don't love the Lord enough if it's we don't love that guy at school, or whatever these things are, guys, you, can, you know what your battles are. 
make the Lord first. He says, our weapons tear down the strongholds of the enemy. That we walk in love is a totally different way, but you cannot walk in love unless you're loving the Lord. It's impossible. How come I can't get things right? God's not first in your life. Make God first and see what happens. You make God first, this stuff just starts happening. You won't be able to not love them. You might still get hurt. You'll be vulnerable. You'll get wounded. It's going to happen. But there's nothing that anyone could do to keep you from loving them because you first love God. It's awesome. Next week, we're going to talk about Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Awesome things happened. But we first have got to learn to walk in the Spirit, to love the Lord most, and to let him lead at all costs. We'll finish this off next week when we get together. We'll get into what it means to follow him or how to do that, I guess. But let him lead. He is sanctifying you right now, molding and shaping. Let him do it. If you're alive in the spirit, walk in it. Don't waste it. Right? Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would, would bury these truths deep within our hearts. Lord, that what your word teaches us, God, would not quickly be forgotten. Lord, if we could remember one thing tonight, to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, we'd do well. Lord, we want to see more. We want to see more of those things in our lives. We want to see you lead. We want to see us follow. And you promised, Lord, that if we would submit to you and resist the devil, he would flee, he would run from us in full retreat. God, I pray as we worship, there would be an incredible surrendering of our lives to you tonight. There would be a resisting of the devil tonight. And Lord, he would grab his white flag of surrender and run from this place Lord tonight Lord as we are alive in the spirit tomorrow God come upon us that we would walk in it we pray in Jesus name we all said Amen